Debt. We've all heard of it. Most of us have it. Debt is an almost unavoidable reality of life. But what happens when it starts consuming life? The experts at Money Management International believe that financial challenges aren't meant to be faced alone. On this podcast, we hear stories of people whose lives have been changed by MMI's role as their toughest coach and loudest cheerleader. Their stories are unique, personal, and inspiring. So stay tuned because we're sharing each guest's long story short. When we started working on this podcast back in April, our team wanted to accomplish a few things. One, we wanted to share the stories of MMI clients who conquered their debt and achieved financial freedom. Two, we hoped to inspire listeners that yes, you can do this too. And third, and this is kind of a big one, we wanted to peel back the layers of stigma, shame, and secrecy when it comes to talking about a thing most Americans have, debt. So on every episode, we asked our guests this question. How do you think debt stigma impacts a person's willingness to seek help? As you can imagine, we got a bunch of different answers. Enough answers for us to think to ourselves, okay, we're onto something here. Let's dive deeper. So as we close season one, we want to dig into this issue and ultimately answer the question, why is money taboo? Why does no one want to talk about money? How did we collectively get the attitude that we don't talk about our finances, we'll just master it all on our own. We called a few partners to bring expertise and perspective on the phenomenon we're calling the money taboo. Let's start with the basics. Why does no one want to talk about money? You may think to yourself, oh, money is a personal private thing, or it's nobody else's business, which to be fair is absolutely true. But what we're trying to learn is more about when people are in financial trouble, why aren't they asking for help? Why do they feel like they have to do it by themselves? In some cases, suffering for years in silence. Most people want to avoid the subject. They want to change the subject pretty quickly when we start talking about money. That's Joel Larsgaard. He's the co-host of the How To Money podcast and a self-proclaimed money nerd. I think there's, um, it feels like this topic that's shrouded in mystery for many people. They don't feel comfortable with it. They don't know what they're doing. And so if the topic comes up, they want to find a way to pivot uh, pretty quickly because there's, oftentimes there's a deep sense of shame. Even though no one taught them how to handle money, they feel like they should know how to handle money. It feels like this thing is like this adulting step maybe that they didn't take, uh, but no one really actually helped them understand it at any point along the way. That's a common theme we've heard throughout our episodes, that people somehow should automatically be good at money, even though they weren't taught the basics. But beyond the lack of know-how, there's another reason people are hesitant to bring up the subject. But also people are afraid to talk about money because they might be financially messy. That's Jason Vitug. He's the founder of Frugal, a financial wellness platform, and a New York Times best-selling author. And I find more people are afraid to talk about money because of the financial messiness. And that has a lot to do with some shame, some guilt around using credit unwisely, leading to debt, or not being able to save or invest for their retirement. Along with shame, Jason mentioned using credit unwisely and debt. 
When you add debt into the mix, that ubiquitous shame and secrecy, it tends to intensify. Jackie Lom, the founder of Hey Freelancer and a personal finance writer, compares this feeling to, of all things, a ghost. This is how she explains it. So it's almost like this like ghost, this debt ghost that's chasing after you. And so the, the debt overwhelm is when people are first not having enough uh, to pay off debt quickly. So then they're trying really hard to pay it off by either like saving money, cutting, you know, cutting costs, and also like taking side gigs to just pay it off. And then there's a lot of emotion around that besides exhaustion. Because, you know, when you have a day job and you got to take on those side gigs, you're also not like getting to go out and having those nice dinners at the steakhouse or whatever. Like it's, you know, your life doesn't feel great. And so there's that fatigue, they call it debt fatigue. And there's also a lot of emotion around that anger. Because anger is a big thing with debt. It's just this like, why do I have to deal with this? You know, it's a constant for a lot of people. So we have a lack of education a feeling that money is messy, and then the debt ghost following us around causing debt fatigue and anger. Seems like we're painting a grim picture, don't you think? But it's not our fault. There are several reasons that our conversations about money are seen as taboo. Let's break them down. Have you ever heard a friend or colleague share an opinion of theirs in passing? You may not actively think about what they shared, but it somehow embeds into the recesses of your brain and you find yourself stating that same perspective weeks later over dinner and drinks with friends. You might have just ingested that opinion without critically thinking about the meaning behind it. And guess what? This belief may not be true. What we're getting at? A misconception. Something that's assumed to be true, maybe talked about like it's true, but upon further examination, isn't. Let's frame the idea of a misconception in terms of money. Here's Jason Vitek again. I think one of the biggest misconceptions that people have about money is that you need a lot of it in order to start mastering it. And so let me backtrack here a little bit because when people tend to think, okay, I need to make X amount of income before I start thinking about budgeting, before I start thinking about investing or planning for retirement. Whereas it's really essential, the moment you start earning income, regardless of what that is, is that's the moment where you should start thinking about how to manage money. Because I've seen this over and over uh, many times, is that there are people who are making minimum wage and then all of a sudden they're able to climb up the corporate ladder and then they start making six figures and they're still unable to control that income or the cash flow in and it's all the money that's going out. And so it's really essential to, to learn to manage money because there's no amount of income that's going to help you achieve your goals if you're unable to manage it. So Jason was talking through one misconception, but there are tons of others out there. So many that we can't get into all of them. But we want to zoom out even further. When I say the word money, where does your mind immediately go? Do you think of positive words like wealth, abundance, security, freedom? Or do you think more negatively? Debt, bills, overdrafts, fees. Wherever your mind automatically goes, that's a learned behavior. But where did it come from? I mean, we all have money hangups from how we grew up. Here's Joel Larsgaard again, 
talking about the people who typically influence us the most. Based on how our parents handled money, how our parents talked about it. Some people have, you know, there's like four different attachment styles when you look in like psychology. And we've all got some sort of different attachment style to money and, and, and as well. And so mine was kind of this insecure attachment because my parents, uh, there were a lot of money arguments and they didn't handle money very well. And so I grew up with this real like feeling that uh, money was this scarce object. I had to grab enough of it and then uh, I was gonna have a hard time parting with it to do positive things. I was just hyper frugal. And so we have to be able to recognize some of those money scripts that are running in the background that we all have, so that then we can deal with them, right? So there's like this deeper psychological component to how we think about money and how it's influencing how we're interacting here and now every day with it. The tricky thing about parents and family is this, we're all different. We don't grow up in a vacuum. As kids, we're taking cues not only from those who raise us, but our education system, our extended family, and our current position in the world. Unless you're like, you know, you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth, I think the cards are stacked against most people financially. That's Jackie from Hey Freelancer. I mean, it could be systemic. Uh, if you were born like, uh, we're going to go heavy here, but like if you're born in a like, certain socioeconomic class, you know, if you're a certain ethnicity, you know, if you, like for me, I'm um, first generation Vietnamese American. My parents immigrated from Vietnam in the 70s. And so we came with nothing or they came with nothing. Um, they didn't really have a good idea of like how basic finances work, how our financial system works. And so just having a lack of knowledge, that's one thing. We all know this, but let's reiterate. Every family is unique. Therefore, everyone's background is unique. Pam Kapolid saw this phenomenon time and again as she made a career shift and started working with different clients. Pam works as a certified financial planner, and she's also the founder of Brunch and Budget. She made this shift when she moved from working in traditional wealth management. And started working with non-wealthy people. I also found myself working with a lot of people of color. And I started noticing things. I started noticing patterns, and I started realizing that my certified financial planner designation didn't really prepare me or equip me for how to work with my clients of color. I mean, everything from like, I like to say like first generation, everything, right? First generation college graduate, first generation in this country, first generation with a professional salary, first generation have the opportunity to buy a home, right? To be making enough money and to have enough resources to be able to buy a home. They're usually, you know, don't have a history of home ownership in their family. They were more like, they're more likely to have student loan debt, people of color. They are more likely to be supporting other family members, sending money back home. They have more financial obligations, right? And so I can have two clients both making $100,000 a year. And my white client is able to save, is able to, you know, put money into their 401k, is able to like build the nest egg. And my client of color is like sending $500 to their mom for rent. Their cousin hits them up and they're like, hey, I need help with this oh, like they need to help someone open a credit card, right? And their family, because they're the only ones who have like a good credit score. We've heard a lot of opinions, stories, and perspectives about how we as a society have learned these beliefs about money. Misconceptions from our parents, our families of origin, and our placement in society all contribute to our money psyche. So now that we understand the obvious, that people don't want to talk about money, but also why they don't want to talk about money. Let's make a plan forward. What can we do so that people will break through their feelings of embarrassment, unease, or nervousness and actually start talking? 
Pam Kaplan thinks it starts with setting the right tone. I think that people need to get the sense that they are entering a judgment-free zone. And you can't just say that. You can't just be like, it's going to be a judgment-free zone, right? You have to figure out how to show them that it's going to be a judgment-free zone. And a big part of that, I feel like there's a couple strategies that I use as a financial planner and financial coach is like talking about my own fallacies and my own failures around money, quote unquote, right? About how I've had credit card debt, about how I don't have my estate plan together, about how I have trouble sticking to a budget. And I think that when we all realize that we're all in the same position and we're all feeling vulnerable about this, that's where you start to lay a foundation and lay that common ground. I think the other thing too, when it comes to a judgment-free zone is like really and truly, like when someone says something, when someone says a number, don't put qualifiers on it, right? Like when someone tells you an amount of debt, you don't say like, oh, let's take care of your large debt. Like uh, that just that just was judgment right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? So like, even like being that mindful and that precise about your language and understanding how people receive that is like such an important part about breaking down the taboo and really creating that judgment-free zone, really creating that cushion for people to say, oh, because people will do it themselves. I have so many clients who come to me and they're like, am I the worst you've ever seen? And I tell them like, I mean, that's very unlikely, like 99 chances out of 100, you're not the worst I've ever seen. And if you are, that's okay. None of this is permanent, right? It's all temporary. Creating judgment-free zones isn't reserved for a relationship between a financial planner and the person they're working with. It can be formed in more informal venues. Joel Larsgaard thinks great conversations can happen on the internet. If there is a community, let's say on Facebook, a Facebook group you can join, where you see encouragement and tips, um, that is going to go a long way in helping you in your endeavors. So like how to money, we have a Facebook group and people are in there all the time, helping each other, offering advice. And so if you're on this personal finance journey and you feel like you're an island, I think you're going to have more struggles. And when you hit a setback, you're more likely to just kind of... Um, uh, take it lying down, or maybe let it decelerate your progress. When, if you're doing it with other people, they're going to be like, hey, but did you think about this? Or, hey, you know what? That's okay. And if you, uh, if you take the next step forward, you're going to keep going. But I, I think the more we silo ourselves off from help, the helpful advice and, and input of other people uh, who, who can be of help and who can offer advice, the more likely we are to diminish our progress. We can't talk about judgment-free zones and finding community without talking about the work that we, Money Management International, do. Throughout this podcast season, we've heard nine client success stories. When it comes to getting out of debt, we've been there before, and we have the brain power and experience to help. Jackie Lam agrees. And then look at some professionals. You know, look at credit counseling. Look at organizations that are there to help. They're experts. They've been doing this for a long time. They can work one-on-one -on -one with you to see like what's going on with your situation and then like give you some options on like what's the best route for you to take based on you know, your comfort level, your budget, all that. Um, and I recommend there's a lot out there. You just Google credit counseling, uh, debt management plan. There's a ton. So I highly recommend going with a nonprofit. Uh, it's NFCC is a great website to look and do look and reviews review and see what's out there because nonprofits usually have they have your back you know they will they're usually free or or low fee and i recommend that as well 
So far, we've really only talked about external things, how to create an open environment to talk about finances, finding community, and engaging with nonprofits if you need credit counseling. But what can you, just you, do today to help your money situation without any outside help? We'll close this episode with one piece of advice from each of our guests. We asked them, what is one actionable item that someone can do today to improve their financial picture? Let's start with Jason Viduk at Frugal. I believe the first thing that everyone should start with in terms of taking control of their finances, it goes back to understanding your relationship with money. It really is asking the why. Why do you spend the way you spend? Why haven't you saved? What are the things preventing you from achieving your financial goals? It really goes back to those basics. It's it's the feelings and it's the thoughts. And I want people to kind of simmer with those uh, ideas because that's what's going to help them get from where they are again to where they want to be. Next up, Pam from Brunch and Budget. There's so much financial advice out there. I can give you tips. I can give you strategies, whatever, whatever, right? But if you, if I don't know what container it's landing in, if I don't know how you're going to be receiving that, it doesn't matter because financial advice, if you look hard enough, it contradicts itself, right? And so if you hear something, if you hear a piece of financial advice and you try it and it doesn't work, that doesn't mean you're bad at money. That means it didn't work, right? That's it. You try something else, right? And I feel like if you're in the early stages of figuring your finances, it's about understanding your relationship with money, one, and also knowing that there's going to be this period of experimentation until you figure out and find a system that works for you. Here's Jackie Lom from Hey Freelancer. Uh, a good first thing is to just uh, get over, pull over the, pull back the hood and uh, work through that avoidance. So that's the first thing, I think, because avoidance is real. It's avoidance is something that we all do. It's a, it's the ideal, you know, when like your car, the check engine light goes on, you put the tape, you put the little masking tape on top of it. Cause you want to ignore it until it really gets bad. You know, that's what all of us do with money. It's great. When things are going great, we love to like, we had no problem. So the first thing is to just have, get over the avoidance and just really see where your debt is, what your debt is. And last Joel Larsgaard from how to money. Just final thought, I guess, is that this is doable. I mean, I think there's, it, it, it feels, it, let's say you're in a lot of debt, it feels insurmountable, but nobody gets anywhere without making a plan, right? And being intentional. And so like, let's say you are in a lot of debt. There's a really cool tool called undebt.it and you should go there and like, use use the helpful tools that are out there. Like personal finance has gotten more complicated in a lot of ways, but there are also uncomplicated tools on on the internet that is now ubiquitous that we all use that will that will help guide you and and make it easier and break it down into those bite-sized chunks. Do you think like us that that shame is like 2008. It's so 2008. And do you want help getting out of debt? We're here to help. Visit our website at moneymanagement.org and find us on social media. On our website you can talk to a credit counselor 100% online without even having to pick up the phone. Our counselors will help you create a budget, provide advice, and find debt repayment options or referrals to other vetted organizations that can help you achieve your goals. Thanks for listening to this episode of Long Story Short, brought to you by Money Management International. 
To learn more about how MMI helps people from all walks of life get unstuck and out of the vicious cycle of debt through personalized solutions that inspire hope, visit moneymanagement.org. This episode was produced by edgewise.media. Script writing and production by Clara Jennings, editing by Brandon Ellis, and show hosting by me, Adam Walker.